So um, we started off this morning with in our greeting time, asking you to picture a time where you felt a unique measure of peace. You remember way back 30 minutes ago when we did that? I want to do a different visualizing exercise now where we uh, close our eyes. And if that's weird for you, then don't close your eyes, you know, whatever. But um, close your eyes if you can and if you're willing. And I want you to picture a time, not necessarily recently, but a time that leaps to mind when you felt like you helped someone by restoring their peace. Okay, where you were used in somebody else's life in some way where they were distraught or upset or hurting or fill in the blank. And because of an interaction that you had, there was a shift. Okay, so go through the, the filing cabinet of your memories. See if you can find one or two, or, and especially one that kind of leaps to mind. Could be with, uh, now this isn't yourself, okay? It's with another person or a group of people, maybe your teacher or something. Think of a time where your contribution created a new measure of peace in someone or someone's experience of life. You got one? I'll give you another few seconds. All right, you feeling good about yourselves? Yeah, when you had that moment? Okay, let's talk about it for a second. Um, we're going to talk in general terms here, so we're not betraying any confidences or anything. But um, what was going on in that person? What? And, and if we think in categories, were they upset? Were they needing forgiveness? Were they hurting? Share a few. What was going on in the people that you were able to shift their experience from distraught to peace? Give me a broad category or two. What were some of the things going on? Somebody was scared. Okay. Frustrated. Okay. It's a good one. Upset and angry. Somebody was confused. Okay. Dying. Good night. Yeah. Feeling guilty. Okay. Feeling limited without options. Trapped or something. Okay. How about this side of the room? Anybody? I went like, I went like this. <laughs> Overwhelmed. Okay. From Zoom, from being on Zoom too much. Okay. No. So overwhelmed was from a person on Zoom. I got you. Okay. Um, all right. Somebody on this side. We all have an example, I'm sure. Trauma. Okay. Two, two more. Feeling not good enough. Okay. And helpless. Okay. Now let's talk about what was going on in you in that moment. Okay. So... First question is, in that moment, 
did you have a choice that you had to make? And help me with the category of the choice you had to make, okay? Was there a choice with that person you were thinking of where it might not have ended with you being an instrument of peace? You know, if you'd made a different choice. And what was the choice that you made uniquely to be used in promoting peace? And I'm asking, like, same thing here. Okay, not judging the person. Okay, so having to put your own needs aside and, and like stopping and acknowledging that you're putting their needs first. Okay. So, so jumping on board with the lies that they're bought into, but you had to choose to see things a different way, maybe? Okay. Okay, so listening to what they're trying to say instead of what they're just saying. Okay, yeah. Okay, so knowing that it wasn't like a quick thing, you're just there. And then, but being there for the long haul. All right. Got time for two more. Not trying to change their emotion. Oh, yeah. Kind of validating their feelings. Mm -hmm. Praying with them. Yeah, that's a choice. Sometimes a risk. Yeah, Krista. Yeah. So choosing to let some love out. Instead of like, well, see you later. Yeah. But that is a choice, isn't it? Somebody have one, they're like, oh, I should really say it, but I'm not going to unless he says the person that should really say it says it. Okay, I'm saying it. So say it. Nobody? All right. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, today uh, we're carrying on with our series that we're calling The Good Story, and we're exploring how the good news of the Jesus story is still relevant to our stories. And over the last, I guess, six months-ish, we've been looking from different angles at this word that kind of we, we use called the gospel, which really means a good news announcement about who Jesus uniquely was and is for the world. And so we've hit that series from a lot of angles. And maybe for some of us, we're like, we are ready to move on to something new, but don't worry. We're getting close. End of June, it's over. Uh, not that the good news is over, but the series will be wrapping up and we'll be moving on to something else. Uh, but this month, Ben got us off really helpfully last week uh, talking about a gospel culture and how as a community, in light of the gospel being sort of this announcement of good news, uh, how we as a community can create a culture that's known for that, that's known for good news, not bad news or news where people are like, oh, I don't want that news, but we're, we're known for people that carry goodness and usher in good news in the same way that we usher in things like peace. And so today we want to lean into sort of a personal way that we can think about being agents or ambassadors or carriers 
of goodness, and especially in peace. There's a story in Luke 7 that I just want to imagine together for a second, because it's like, it's a pretty gripping one if you don't just read through it like you do sometimes, but where you actually picture what it would smell like, what it would feel like, what it would um, be like to be in this moment. You maybe you'll remember the story. Jesus has been invited for a meal with a Pharisee. I don't know what town this is in. It's not in Jerusalem. We know that. But it's a Pharisee somewhere else been invited to have a meal at this person's house. A Pharisee is kind of like a big deal usually. Like, or at least um, there's an expectation that you're on your best behavior. Like that's kind of really what they're known for, being on their best behavior. And so Jesus is invited to this place where the atmosphere isn't one that you kind of, you, you know, you, you let your gut out and you do whatever you want. It's kind of an atmosphere where you're on your best behavior. And so it creates a certain dynamic, doesn't it, when you're in a place like that? And maybe you've been invited to dinner parties like that. Uh, anyway, he's reclining at the table like they did in the time. So they didn't have chairs at tables. They sat on the ground. And so they'd kind of lean with one elbow on the table, picture like your coffee table or something. They'd lean on their table and their feet would kind of be, be behind them. Well, in the middle of this fancy, not fancy in the sense of like, you know, they'd killed the fattened calf necessarily, but this kind of, just getting a call here, sorry. Uh, this, uh, this moment where Jesus is interacting with someone who is kind of weighing whether or not he's a rabbi worth listening to. A woman that Luke describes as having lived a very sinful life enters the room, uh, uninvited, knows that Jesus is there, and so walks in which is weird already, right? Like that would create a bit of a stir. And then not, not just walks in, but stands behind Jesus and starts to bawl, which would create a bit of a disruption. And she's weeping to the point where she gets down on her knees at Jesus' feet and starts washing his feet with her tears. And then do you remember what else she does? Dries off his feet with her hair. Like there's just this sense of really wanting to um, be near him. And the the Pharisee is is there and it's his dinner party, and it's kind of like, what is happening here? And Luke, Luke tells us that he says to himself, if this man were really a prophet. He, uh, he would know who this woman is, and he wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus, knowing what the man's thinking, says, I want to ask you something, Mr. Pharisee. If, uh, if somebody forgives two debts, and the first one is a 500 denarii debt, and the other is a 50 denarii debt, who loves them more? And the Pharisee says, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. He said, yeah. He said, when, when I walked in here, uh, you didn't even offer me a drink or anything. I just kind of reclined at your table. She has washed my feet with perfume and tears. And 
it's because she's been forgiven much that she's loved much because she's aware of her need for what I offer that she so is experiencing it. And then Jesus ushers peace into this woman's life. He says, your sins are forgiven, which is interesting, right? This is before he's died on the cross or anything. Your sins are forgiven. And then he says, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's what he says. Like, what a moment. What a dinner party, hey? Jesus ushers in this incredible, palpable peace. And she receives it and soaks it up. Today, we're going to talk about how Jesus invites us to be agents of peace and how the receptivity of others is, is pretty important as far as how we step into those modes. Not that we'll ever be a Christ-like figure in the sense of how Jesus was, but that we can embody some of the values and ways of Jesus where we can be like a Christ to someone. So, Father, as we open your word, as we look at this uh, passage in the book of Luke, we're, um, we're inviting you to catch our attention, maybe for the first time or all over again, by the radical love that you would show for the people around you. And by the radical example that you gave to these people that were following you, that must have just been baffled by the difference in the way that you saw uh, the circumstances of their lives. And so as we think about the circumstances of the lives that were present to you in the flesh in those days, we invite you to uh, transport us kind of back in the story so that we can think about the circumstances in the lives today that continue to be transformed by your peace. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So the first line in chapter 8, right after this story happens, um, says this. After this, this being the dinner party, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So right after this happened, Jesus kind of went town to town, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And in the next couple chapters, we see this happening in a variety of ways. Everything from him doing miraculous things that everybody would notice from like calming storms to dealing with people that had demon possession and setting them free, to healing people, to raising a girl from the dead. Like, it's like, it's a pretty big hit list of wonderful things that happened through Jesus in chapter eight and nine of the book of Luke. And so if you want to feel inspired, if you want to feel, feel inspired about who Jesus is, read Luke seven, eight, nine, and 10. But when you get to 10, you'll notice that now Jesus seems to be kind of shifting from just taking the 12 disciples that are following him really closely with him and now inviting 72 others with kind of a playbook on how he wants them to go ahead of him 
into the towns he's about to go to. So we have the passage from Luke 10 that we want to jump into on, on the screen here. Now in Luke 9, he sends out his 12 disciples in a very similar way. But now after having done that, he, he jumps into this now. So uh, he's saying there's 72 people that are somehow in connection with him. And we don't know all the details of that. But he has a wider community, obviously, than just his 12 disciples. And so he gives them some instructions on how he wants them to be people that are not just insular, in other words, looking in at their own community, but he's sending them beyond themselves. And this is something that requires a bit of instruction because it's, it's scary for a lot of folks to say, how do I go beyond the comforts of my own community and then represent the, this Jesus that I can hardly fathom in my own mind? I don't want to misrepresent him. So how do I wrap my head around going out and representing Jesus and helping people see what is on offer for them in the way that I've received? And so let's read the, the passage together and we'll, we'll hit a couple of the, the different, different spots. We'll stop. So verse one, after this, the, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place that he was about to go to. So Jesus has some plans to visit some other places. And so kind of um, in the way that John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus in a big way, he's like, you know, a forerunner for the message that I'm bringing to these towns might be good in a smaller way. You know, that's the way I think of it anyway. And so it's also a great opportunity to send people out to say, will you represent this message and help people learn about what you've experienced uh, before I come and they meet me. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves, which is never what you want to hear when you're being sent somewhere. You're like, you're a lamb <laughs> among wolves. Like, okay, wolves eat lambs, I'm pretty sure. So that's not feeling great. But um, Jesus is saying, you're, you're, you're being sent out in a vulnerable capacity. This isn't something where you should expect a red carpet being rolled out for you. You're not carrying with you something that people initially will recognize as good news. You're not necessarily carrying something that they even care to hear about. And so just before you go, you're not the wolf going and teaching the lambs a lesson. You're a lamb that is entering into spaces where you might meet some aggression, which really creates a dynamic where you have to have a little chat with yourself before you want to do something like that, right? Is this worth it? What? Or how, how do I resolve some of the apprehension and tension that I'm feeling about this assignment? There's a sense that, that what Jesus is asking them to do, and inevitably what he's asking us to do, is anxiety-provoking at one level. And he's not apologizing for it. And he's not saying, wait till the entire world wants you to come and tell them something and then walk in as the hero. No, he says, you're going to be the lamb. There are wolves. It's not going to be easy. So you probably need more than just yourself to do this. And so we noticed in the, in the first verse, he sends them two by two. 
which, you know, it's nice to have a partner. I had uh, a, a couple guys trying to sell me something this week and they were, we were talking about how I had done sales and I'm like, man, I wish I had had a friend along. So when the sale went bad, we could talk about it and debrief together and be like, you know, Hey, it's okay. Get on to the next one. Cause sometimes when you're a lamb among wolves and you have a, a, a compadre with you, that helps in those hard moments, right? And so Jesus wisely sends them two by two. He says, don't take a verse four. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals. What? <laughs> like we're going into wolf territory. We should be packing rifles or something. You don't even want us to take a purse, a bag, sandals. Don't greet anybody on the road. There's this urgency. He's like sending them out. And there's this radical vulnerability about it. I want you to go into dangerous territory. And I want you to go vulnerably. Doesn't that sound fun? Not really. And then he kind of lays out what I think sometimes people turn into like a um, step-by-step way of like doing something. But I think there there are principles here to mind for sure. It doesn't always go as clean as these step-by-steps. But he says, when you enter a house or a household, the word that Ben was talking about last week of oikos, the, the extended family, say peace to this house, which I don't think means like say peace to a building or something, but like step into this spiritual family or this extended family, not spiritual family, and communicate that you're there in a peaceful way. And so the way that you do that probably depends on the family and you. And if someone who promotes peace is there, then when you're sending peace out, your peace will rest on them. So the way I like to talk about this in the words that I normally use is there's sort of a reciprocity. There's a spiritual kind of chemistry sometimes that I put myself out there and say, hey, like, I'm here in a way that I want to be helpful, or I'm here in a way where I care. And if it's met with um, some reciprocity, which is a hard word for me to say, rep, you know the one, then that peace will rest on them, and there'll be a sense of chemistry. There'll be a sense of um, openness. And if not, then you'll know pretty fast and your peace can return to you. So if you put yourself out there vulnerably and they're not open, you're going to know and it's time to move on. So then he goes on, he says, in the case where the peace is met, so if we put ourselves out vulnerably and someone's receptive, stay there. You know, it's kind of like in the examples we were talking about. It's not like, well, Good luck with that. See you later. You know, on to the next. But no, stay there. I like how the people on Zoom said sometimes it's not an instant thing where I've been given my help someone experience peace and now, but I knew it was going to be an ongoing thing. So there's this stay there, be committed to building relationship and capacity and credibility with someone. Eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. 
stay with someone that you have chemistry with where the spirit is maybe starting something. Don't just busy yourself with the shotgun method of, I'm just going to talk to everybody about my peace. But Jesus is saying, no, just stay and let things develop. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Here's an easy one. Verse 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So it's interesting, right? It's like so far in the step-by-step of what Jesus is saying for these 72 to do is go vulnerably, um, go in a way where you need to be hosted. So you're not there giving them something, but you're going in a needy way. And then when you're met with someone that's extending themselves back to you, reciprocating, by saying, you look like you need a place to stay, then stay, eat with them. And after all that is starting to be established, heal them. And then tell them the good news. It's like, if this is a step-by-step, it's almost like there's enough credibility, there's enough relationship, there's enough connection That at this point, there's a sense of, I want to explain how the kingdom is present in these moments that we've been experiencing together. Now, by no means is this the only way that we can share goodness about God. But this is the way that Jesus seems to be preparing these 72 people. So uh, just a quick recap. To, To... to step into this, what we call the person of peace principle, we go. So we don't expect people to come to us, but there's a sense that where we're actively aware that we're stepping into the lives of people around us with a way of saying, how can I be helpful? Not trying to convert people or trying to um, look in the mirror and say, wow, what a great Christian I am or something, but legitimately wanting to be like Jesus was, where he was stepping into people's worlds and making a really wonderful difference. Okay, so there's a motivation there. That's There's some that it can get manipulated for something that isn't helpful, but go stay. When there's chemistry, when someone who you've communicated your willingness to be there for says, please, yes, then stay. Be with that person or people. Stay in that space. Eat with them. Stay with them. Heal them. Now, this one is is tricky, you know, because sometimes we feel like the moment that healing thing comes up, I feel disqualified. I feel like now that's Jesus realm, but he seems to be inviting these folks to step in as agents of healing. And I'm somebody that believes in supernatural healing. And I also love to redefine it sometimes as more than just the super radical supernatural healing. But I think there is incredible supernatural healing that happens when you're talking with a friend and the spirit of God gives you a question that opens things up where all of a sudden they're processing something that has weighed heavy on their heart. That is as much of a supernatural healing as like somebody growing their leg back or something, you know, 
in my mind, where God's spirit gives us tools in moments with people to speak peace the way all of you remember you did it that one time. That there's moments where we are agents of peace and God's spirit can work through us to change somebody's view or change somebody's experience or their their emotion or their belief. And then he says, finally, and then tell them the good news. Uh, I think that one of the things that's that's interesting about this whole idea of how to communicate peace is that sometimes peacemakers, and I love this quote by Thomas Trinna, it's from an article called Blessed Are the Pacifists. He says, peacemakers are honored insofar as they speak about peace as something already victoriously won that we can celebrate as part of our glorious past or as something that will be won in another world. But they continue to be dishonored insofar as they continue to point out injustice, hypocrisy, or suffering in the present. In other words, peacemakers aren't very peace-feeling when they're attacking something that has to be addressed in someone's or in someone's lives. Because they're ruffling feathers and they're saying, in order for us to experience a level of peace, there's some dysfunction that has to be addressed, which is another form of this healing, I think, of systemic injustice or someone's attitude that is not not from God or not helpful or not going to promote a peaceful end. That that is in as much what we're talking about here as some sort of step-by-step, very concrete process. We're talking about being in the lives of people that are are in complicated situations, standing there vulnerably, and waiting for God's Spirit to show you, in a given situation, what the customized approach looks like for being the person that that person needs to experience the person of Jesus through you. That's inspiring stuff. And each of you remembers a moment where you got to participate in that, right? You know, so I think sometimes we think about this and we think, well, you know, all of that would have worked then. There's no way that this would work now. Like, okay, we're going to head to Coquitlam or Port Coquitlam. You guys go to Maple Ridge. You guys go to Matsqui, whatever. Two by two and just wander around and uh, just start saying peace to you. And then if someone says peace to you, then you stay at their house. You know, it's like, I don't know that that's going to work. And I don't think it needs to, although it has. um, We have a story of that happening with our friend Ben Dale, which many of you remember this story. Literally went with only a backpack to Vancouver, walked around walked into some place and was like, uh, need any help? And they said, yeah, we, we do. And so guess what he did? He stayed and he helped and he ate with them and he, somebody really wanted to chat. He ate with them and, uh, enjoyed being with them and stayed with them and healed them 
in the sense that he was the ultimate maintenance man for this ministry work that they were doing in Vancouver. He lived the person of peace principle, and he was part of bringing good news into that neighborhood. But I don't think it's always us putting on our backpack and wandering into Vancouver vulnerably in that sense. I think that there are principles here that help us understand how to just be peace bringers in our normal everyday relationships. It's to be vulnerable. It's to be open to being used in people's lives. To saying like, if someone starts to say something where I can tell they want to go a little deeper, am I a person that's even willing to take on all the complexity of that and all the potential conversation that will ensue? which I think raises a couple questions. One is, do I have a piece that's worth passing on? Like, is there a, a piece in me? Is there a way that I go about my day in, day out experience? Is there something I've experienced about the kingdom where I could be an agent of peace? I think that's a good question and a convicting one. Uh, let's flick to the next, the next slide there. So they go, they do their thing. They're bombing around in pairs, you know, saying peace to people and hanging out in their homes. And, and then they come back to Jesus and they return with joy. And they say, Lord, even the demons submitted to us. And it worked like what we did, like people were, lives were being changed and stuff. And Jesus is, is there, you know, kind of like, I kind of picture like it's a debrief, you know, like, so how are things like, well, we went to Philippi and we went, you know, whatever. And they come back and uh, they said, yeah, like we had power. People were doing stuff because we, we were saying stuff. And he says, I replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So yeah, you do have like incredible power at your disposal when you're representing the king of kings. But then there's this little correction. However, don't rejoice that spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice at what a big deal you are that you went out and did something. Rejoice that you get to partner with the king of heaven. The only thing to rejoice about is God, not your contribution here. Not to, not to get wrapped up in, in the hype of the power that moved through you and not recognize the power as the thing to be conscious of. And I just love I, I love that verse 20 as a little correction to say. In the way that we step into people's lives, offering our peace and staying with them, it's in partnership with God that we celebrate, not because of the things that happen um, when we step into those spaces through us, but because of the one moving through us, we celebrate. And so as we wrap up here, I think the questions that I'm asking myself as I'm revisiting this, and it's something that I've looked at in the past, but looking at it again is just asking first personally, and I'd invite you to do the same. Um, 
would I describe myself as a person who lives with experiences of peace? Now, do I have a measure of peace that's unique because of the kingdom of heaven? And it's sometimes, but uh, not always. And, And I certainly recognize that there's aspects of things I do and say and think and don't do and don't say and don't think that makes that a yes or a no. How about you? Do you live with a level of peace? The kind of peace that you offered that person you were imagining a minute ago. Do you live with that level of peace personally because of what's going on between you and the king who's ushered in the kingdom? So that's the first question is before I evaluate whether or not I can be a person of peace to someone else, do I live with that level or that experience of peace creeping in, in moments that don't seem to deserve it? And then I think maybe from there where my mind goes as I process this and yours probably could go a million different ways is am I someone that's willing to stay with people or am I so focused on the things that are on my mind that when these moments that I can tell are poignant moments in people's lives surface that I have a choice in those moments and we all do to set aside the agenda or the schedule that I was on, the place I was headed, and be present to what is going on in the moment? Am I willing to pay attention to those impulses when they come? Sometimes, and I'm sure glad when I do, and my list still seems to get done or matter less when I do, but what about you? When there's an impulse to deviate from your plan or from your schedule or from because someone or some ones are standing right in front of your face, needing peace, are you willing to deviate? Yeah, I'm with you. It's a tough question, not not a fun one. And then will you stay? Will you eat? Will you be a measure of healing? And will you help them understand what good news it is to be invited into the kingdom? We thank you, Jesus, for more than just an example. We thank you that you're more than just an ethical figure that tells us why things are right and wrong. We thank you that you're more than just an example, but that you have given us your spirit that the spirit by which you did the things you did lives in us and that you, you show these folks, these 72 as kind of a model to us that if we create space, there's capacity in us to be representatives uh, of your spirit, of your peace, of your love, of your goodness, of the gospel in ways that really come down to moments. And so we ask you first to have a moment with each of us around 
the level to which we're receptive to your peace. And I know that touches on all kinds of things in our lives. All the reasons that we have really good reasons to not feel or not think that we should um, experience any peace with what we're going through. We think of that woman who, uh, with her tears, fell at your feet and you forgave her. And you said, it's your faith that saved you. Be at peace. And I pray that over us today, that as we um, admit our need, as we are present to the reality of what's going on inside of us, and we're um, bringing it before you, we ask you to uh, say the same to us that it's our faith in you, that our, our relinquishment of, our, of the responsibility of carrying the weight of our circumstances that is our pathway to peace. And we pray that in the, in the same moments that we're receiving peace, that you would also give us a capacity to see beyond ourselves and to, to be people who are willing to pause and to engage with others who need what we so often need. And we thank you for entrusting us with such an incredibly important task. And show us how to do it, not in our own strength, but like lambs among wolves, help us to rely on you for the things we need to navigate the minefields of the complexity of the world that we live in. Help us to be open and willing to at least give it a shot. In your name, amen.